Good morning, church. My name is Katie Stevens, and I serve on the welcome team. Our scripture this morning is Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy, uh, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when mornings dawn and the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, and God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Jeff Darks. I've been attending Mansfield Bible Church since uh, 2000, and I lead a men's group. Uh, I started meeting with uh, Greg Lingle about 20 years ago and with some other guys, and just realized how important it was that to meet with other men and talk about the Bible, and just about life in general, and just to pray together, and how much closer we actually got to Christ and to knowing Christ. Proverbs 27:17 says, uh, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. Also Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near. Hey, if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you to get into one because you're just gonna, your faith is gonna get deeper with, with Christ. You're just gonna grow in Christ. You're gonna grow with a bunch of men, get to know each other, get to pray for each other. I would encourage you to do that. All right, yes. Jeff, um, it was good 20 years ago. I, I told him he should have said two years ago, but it was more like 20 years ago. We got together and started um, a small group and a men's group and it kind of grew and Jeff's been doing group ever since. Uh, I've really praised God for that. And it continues in this idea of finding your place is this idea of, of if you're not in a small group or you're not in a men's accountability group or a small group, man, I encourage you to do that because that's where, that's where you begin to grow. I talk a lot about family and that in a family, there's times where we get on each other's nerves. There's times where things happen, but part of growing in Christ and allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in us is that we work through those things and we grow in the process. And I would say that is definitely 
been in the case with Jeff and how God has used him over the years. It's been a great joy to know him and to see God use him in a mighty way. Well, this morning, you were supposed to have my brother-in-law here this morning. He was coming into town on Friday and he contacted me on Friday and said, hey, uh, Greg, he said, uh, I just uh, tested positive for COVID, so I'm not gonna be coming. So this morning, we still, I've been off the last couple of weeks and we had some other plans going yesterday as well with the different family. And so I said, well, okay, no problem. We'll preach this morning. We're gonna go into Psalm 46. A lot of, for some of you that have been around, you probably have heard this passage before. You know this, this passage in, a, in, in, in your readings probably. You come across it in different ways. And I would just encourage you this morning as as we gather that we would listen and hear what God has to say to us. I, I believe that the word of God has the power and the ability to impact our lives, to change our lives and to make us more like his son. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started in his word. Father God, we come before you this morning. Lord, it is my prayer that I ask Father of you that you would just speak to us, your people. And Father, we would not be a people that wander about in, in darkness, but a people that, Father, walk in the light of the truth of your word. That, Father, we would understand the impact of your word and the truth of it in our lives. That, Father, it is definitely the final authority for our lives. It gives us direction and wisdom. We learn about you. We understand, Father, the grace that Christ has given us and that we walk in grace we walk in the power of your might by faith. We stand declared righteous because of your goodness in our life, Father. We are so thankful that today we stand here not as, not as uh, vessels for judgment, but, Father, vessels of your grace. Amen. And we give you honor and we give you glory and we praise your holy name because, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. From everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, there's just none like you. And so we thank you for that. Lord, as well, I just pray this morning, as I always do, that just you pass my own iniquities, my own sins, shortcomings, inabilities, all of those things, God, and just speak to us, your people. We come this morning and we come with all kinds of different things that are going on in our lives and some are good and some aren't. Some are struggles and some are distress. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to us and encourage us and you would strengthen, Father, our, our weak arms and our weak, our weak knees when we grow weary in faith and you would strengthen us for your glory and your purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, you can take your Bibles and we'll be in Psalm 46. When I, Lydia and I met, we met in Bible college and um, we got married that year or a year later after we had met. And I had been working with a youth group in Birmingham, Alabama. And there was a guy in our church that had a kind of a cabin or a condo up by a ski resort over in North Carolina, I believe it was. And so the group, youth group we were working with, Lydia and I got married in December. Well, in January, we took the youth on a ski retreat that weekend. We were going up to this cabin and skiing and I was pretty excited growing up in Denver. I had grown up most of my life skiing. I loved to, to ski and snow ski and it was such a joy and I was looking forward to getting Lydia 
on the mountain and, and her getting to ski as well. Growing up in uh, South Louisiana, just outside New Orleans, barefoot and all of that, finding snow in a mountain was a little bit of a different environment for her. But I was excited we got her up there and, and I, I talked to her and I said, hey, look, you're gonna be on this bunny slope and you're gonna learn how to snow plow. You know, that's the first thing you kind of learn. And I really wanna get to the, to the blacks. I wanna get to the difficult. And so do you mind? She's like, oh, no, no, not at all. So I'm skiing in the morning. I'm skiing all the, up with a couple of guys who would ski there a lot and just having a blast. And it was about lunchtime coming back to the lodge and, I look over and I see Lydia skiing, man, she's doing fantastic. And she's, she has some athleticism and you could see it, man. She was just, she had control of this. And I'm like, man, she could be skiing on the blues. She could, she could do that. I'm, I'm gonna get her up there and see if we can get her skiing on, on that. So I'm talking to her at lunchtime. I'm like, hey, I'll be with you. It's not a problem. And so the guys that I was with, a couple of high school guys, you never trust when you're a youth guy, you don't trust the high school guys, right? And I said to a couple of them, I said, hey, can you help me get to the spot where we got a bunch of blues because she can ski down? Well, they thought it was funny and took us up to a spot where it was all blacks and it was not easy blacks either. And Lydia looks at the, down at the mountain and she's like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I, you know, growing up in Colorado, we would see people walk down the slope and we would you know, laugh, make fun of and like, oh no, you can't do that, honey. You're gonna have to ski down. Now, let, let me tell you how to do this. You just ski from side to side. That's all skiing is. It's just, as you bring that in closer, you go faster. That's all it is. So you just ski from side to side. So I'm standing there telling her, okay, kind of pick out this lane where you're gonna ski across and so forth. And I said, now there's something else you need to know. You've gotta go first because I have to, come behind you in case you fall, I can pick up all the stuff and bring it along. And so she skis across and she wipes out and I pick up everything and come down. And she's, you know, I'm like, hey, you did really, really good. You really can do this. I'm telling you, you did really great. And so we line her up for another one and she skis across, wipes out again. And so I'm like picking up stuff and she's kind of looking at me like, hey, we're not gonna do this anymore, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm like, gosh, but we can't, you can't walk down. I mean, that's just like, I grew up when I was skiing, people walking down, I, and this will reveal my heart a little bit, but you know, you give them a little spray just so they know what they're missing, you know, as you go on down the hill. I know, I'm sorry, I see the look over there. I mean, I'm not innocent, I'm telling you, I've never said I was innocent. <clears throat> so anyway, we get going down, we do this about three times, and she finally looked at me and she goes, I'm sitting down and I'm scooting down this mountain. I'm not going any further. And I'm just coming apart. Because, now, let me keep remind you of the context. We'd only been married one month. Yeah. So somehow, by the grace of God and, and all, I, I convinced her. I said, look, just put your skis between mine. Throw your arms around my waist. I can ski you down this mountain. And also she did, she got her arms around my waist and she puts her face in my back and I start skiing her down the mountain and we're doing all right. And I'm like, hey, just look over my shoulders. I'm not looking over your shoulder. <laughs> we, get to the bottom of the, we get to the bottom of the hill and she takes off her skis, she goes in, she takes off her ski boots and she's never put them on again. And I've never gone skiing since. So I messed up that day with those guys, right? 
You know, all kinds of things happen in our world, in our life that causes us to be paralyzed by fear. There's all kinds of things that happen. It can be financial fears, unexpected job loss, maybe unexpected expenses. My son happened, that happened to my son this last week, his motor in his car blew out and he had to go buy another car. Unexpected, it wasn't planned if we knew about it, but handle it different. There's all kinds of things that can happen, happen in our world that cause us to be overwhelmed and causes us to be afraid. It can be relationships that impact us emotionally. It changes the way that we feel and the way that we look at the world. It can be even as broad as the political landscape, environmental issues or practical things like a project or assignment in school or at work. All kinds of things create fear in our lives that can paralyze us and overwhelm us to a place that our faith cannot lead us and see what God wants to do in our life. You see, fear will cause us to go one way when God wants us to go another. Fear can paralyze us right in the middle of our path and cause us not to take another step when we lose sight of who God is. And I believe God wants us to have a fearless faith and to stand confidently in him in a world that is very chaotic. I think God wants us to be a people of fearless faith. And when you look at Psalm 46, this Psalm is expressing that aspect. And it's broken down, I believe, in three different movements of thought. First is one through three. It's a scope of fearless faith. He's describing the scope of that. In verses four through seven is the source of our fearless faith. And then in verse, verses eight through 11 is the secret to fearless faith. And I use the word secret very loosely. It's not a secret, but we often forget. In verse one, let me read it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the first part of verse two, therefore we will not fear. I always love this passage, this word, this idea here, God is our refuge. The word there for refuge is a seeking refuge, like to a cave or under a rock. You ever been caught in a major rainstorm and what are you doing? You're running for cover, you're running for refuge, you're running for a place to kind of get tucked under and to be protected. And it's the same picture that God is our refuge. That when these things, when troubles and difficulties in our life come our way, it's to drive us to God, not from God. And so many times what ends up happening to us is the difficulties of life and the distress of life causes us to lose sight of who God is and we move away from him instead of to him. And this psalmist is telling us, he's telling us God is our refuge. He's, our, he's the one we seek in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of troubles, in the middle of things when we are so distressed, overwhelmed. When fear begins to grip our hearts, it's a moment to remember that it's him that we seek. The only way you're going to overcome fear, the only way you're going to overcome those things is to seek him. It's not always the easiest thing but it is the right thing. And it should drive us to God every time. In fact, he says our refuge and strength, that word strength there is the picture of God's powerfulness exercised on our behalf and in the time of troubles. 
that God is our refuge and our strength. If you're not seeking him in the middle of troubles, what are you seeking? Think about it. You're depending on your own resources, maybe a bank account, maybe property. Maybe you're depending on your own skills, your own abilities to do your job so you can make the advancements. If you're not depending on God, what are you depending on? Maybe your connections, your network. If you're not trusting him, what are you trusting? And the psalmist immediately teaches us right here that God is our refuge. He's the one we seek and he is our strength. And we seek him in the midst of troubles, in the midst of difficulty. The word there for troubles is distress, personal anguish in the midst of our difficulties and our troubles. And I like the term where he says a very present help. It's not a, it's not a picture of it's coming, it's a present help. He's here in the midst of the troubles. It's interesting in the context of this psalm, <clears throat> if we were to go back and look and see the context Assyria had surrounded Jerusalem and the king of Assyria had sent his, his, his men, his captains, and, and they were yelling over into Jerusalem and in Hebrew so that all the people on the walls could hear. And they're telling them, don't let King Hezekiah, who was the king at the time, don't let him deceive you. Don't let him tell you that your God's gonna protect you. Don't let him convince you that he will protect you from us. Look at these other countries. Assyria had conquered other countries, other towns, other places over and over. And when they went in, they didn't just conquer the people. They, they devastated the land. They would tear down every brick and they would break it down. They would pour salt over the location so there'd never be another city built there. And they're yelling over into the, into the, into the walls, into the people, don't allow King Hezekiah to trick you. Don't let him deceive you that you would trust your God. And this psalmist writes here, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You can read about it in Isaiah uh, chapter 36 and 37. You see, fear destroys our faith and our confidence in God every single time. Fear will paralyze you. It will cause you to respond in a way that is not righteous. It will cause you to, to darken your vision, your ability to see God's plans and, and work and you will miss his plan and you will destroy your ability to follow him. Fear takes us one way when God wants us to go another I love in verses two and three, he says, therefore we will not fear. And he says, though the earth gives way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea, though the, its waters roar and foam, though the mountain tremble at its swelling. I love the picture here. He isn't saying, talking about some people coming. He isn't talking about some kind of situation. He's talking about the earth. And the earth begins to rumble and the mountains begin to move and the mountains are going into the sea and the waters are rumbling and everything that you're standing on begins to, to rumble around you and everything seems to be falling apart. You know what the scope of our fearless faith is? Whatever happens. 
You cannot exhaust fearless faith in who God is. Regardless of what happens. I've shared this a few times. Some, many of you are new and have not heard this before, but when I was 17, I had probably about the year since I had really began walking away from my, from my friends and started getting new friends because the friends I had was leading me away from God, not to God. And I was beginning to make choices about serving God and I was so convinced about what he was doing in my life. And it was December 9th, I've never forgotten the day. It was a Saturday. Normally I would have been out playing basketball. I was on a team and but that particular Saturday, I, I didn't. I was actually home and I was upstairs. My parents had started a jewelry business about three years before. It was in our third year that we were beginning this business. And I was upstairs and downstairs was where our showroom was. We had showcases with our jewelry and the different things that we provided in that business. And I remember I was upstairs and I could hear my dad downstairs. It was sounding like loud and it was... Lots going on. Well, my dad's pretty boisterous, so I didn't immediately, you know, think anything of it. But then it kind of kept going, so all of a sudden I thought, well, I'm going to go see what's going on. I want to go see who's here. And I remember walking as you go down from the upstairs, downstairs, you kind of walk down a little short flight of stairs, and then there's a landing with the door that goes out back. I pulled the window, the curtains back on the window of the door, and I could see my dogs were eating. So I didn't let them in. I was going to let them in, but I didn't because they were eating. And I turned, and as I turned and go down the flight of stairs, when you get to the bottom of the stairs, there was just a little short wall on both sides of the stairs. To the right was just a couple of rooms, a showroom and a workroom, or a storeroom and a workroom. To the left was our showroom where our customers came in, and we serviced them, and we had our jewelry businesses in there, and we did a lot of our work in there as well. So it was all to the left. Well, as I looked to my left, the door was a little bit open, cracked open, and I see my dad laying on the floor. And I become fixated on that, on my dad, and just trying to figure out what's he doing, and I'm walking towards him now, and, and I get about halfway where the door is, about halfway between me, and I kind of have my hand on the door, and I'm looking at my dad, and all of a sudden I hear this guy say, don't move or I'll shoot. And I looked up, and on the other side of the counter was a man standing there with a gun pointed right at me. Well, I was 17, I was young, I didn't think, I reacted. I remember jumping back, I hear the gun going off and the bullet hitting the wall behind me. And I ran past the stairs without even thinking about it. And before I realized it, I turned around, well, he had jumped the counter and he'd come running around and got a hold of me and stuck the gun in my face. My mom was on the other side of the workbench. She was, you know, it's been so many years and I still can remember the emotions of the day. My mom was on the other side of the workbench. The guy was on top of hers, handcuffing her, blindfolding her and gagging her. She just heard the gun go off. She knew I walked in. My dad was already handcuffed. They walked out that day with <clears throat> about $119,000 in wholesale, which in that day was, it's a lot of money now, but in that day it was even worth more. The FBI was involved because it was a gang that was involved. They'd hit stores in 
Phoenix, Albuquerque, New Me Albuquerque and Santa Fe, and we were the first store hit in Denver. But what followed after the months and the weeks and the time after that is my mom had a nervous breakdown. Can you imagine hearing your only child, hearing a gun go off while you're blindfolded and handcuffed? She was in and out of the mental hospital on several occasions, helped my mom move a couple of times. My mom and dad separated a couple of times. My whole world fell apart. I always looked back and thought, what a timing, you know, that my adversary would want to destroy my world that I might turn from my God. And all it did was drive me closer to him. I would never want to go back through that time again. But God taught me so much during that time about faith, about the purity of his word and the truth of his word for our lives. He taught me so much. You see, when we talk about the scope of fearlessness, it's whatever happens. You're never gonna exhaust. There's never gonna go to a place where you go, yeah, yeah, there's no way you can have enough faith for that. You can never exhaust it because God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And when God is our source and God is the center of the midst of us, we can face anything. Whatever happens, God wants to, us to seek him so that he might demonstrate his awesome power toward us in our times of trouble. The psalmist goes on in verses four through seven. He shows us the source of, of, our, of our fearlessness. I love verse four because he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. You know, this summer, a lot of folks, a lot of you in here were on vacation. Some went to Colorado, different. You know how many people show pictures next to a stream or a river? Have you ever thought about that? Because it's so tranquil. It's so peaceful. And here the, the author, the psalmist is writing and he just described the earth quaking and shaking. And now he's describing the city, the city of God. And there's this stream in the middle of it and it makes glad the city of God. There's a tranquility here. It's the habitation of the most high. How can there be peace in the middle of all of this? Don't forget the context. The context is Syria has surrounded the city of God. The context is they're th blowing threats over the walls about how they're gonna destroy them. And the psalmist is describing this city that is glad because there's a stream in the midst and it's the city of God. It's the holy habitation of the most high. Why is there a tranquility? Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. God is the source. Our adversary wants to force you to focus on your fears and the things that overwhelm you and not to trust the Lord. Every time, he wants you to do that. Because when he does that, he will destroy you. You will lose sight of who God is and you will lose sight of what God is able to do in your life. I always found it amazing. God told Israel to build a wall, but he never told them to trust in that wall. God has provided a lot in our lives. He's given us much, 
And by his grace and his goodness, praise God for it, right? But he's never told us to trust in it. Never told us to trust in that a bank account. He's never told us to trust in, in our resources. He never told us to trust in our skills. He never told us to trust in those things that he's given us. He's told us to what? Trust in him. Our trust is to be in him. God wants us to seek him when everything is falling apart. When everything's coming apart, he wants to seek him. In fact, the last part of verse five, God will help her when morning dawns. I love that picture. Because in those days when battle took place and the sun went down, you know what they did? They moved their troops. They positioned them in a, in a place that they felt like would be a better advantage for victory. They didn't have the technology like we have today. And so they would move the troops. And then as the, as the sun comes up, you find out if you made the wise decision last night. And the psalmist says, hey, when the dawn happens, God's gonna help her. He'll be there. And it's so true for us, just as much, that God will be there. God is our help. That when the world's coming apart, we trust him. I like the quote from Oswald Chambers. It's one of my favorite quotes. A man who fears God will fear nothing else. A man who does not fear God will fear everything else. Think about that. What do you fear? What do you fear? Psalm 112 verses six and seven says, the righteous is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Does the bad news come and it destroys everything or do you trust in the Lord? It doesn't take away the pain and the difficulties of the moment. But it means that when those things happen, my heart turns to him. I love verse, uh, Proverbs 29, verse 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I remember I was wanting to learn uh, survival skills back in Colorado. So I used to go in the mountains and you figure out where the little bunny rabbits go, right? And then you set up a little snare. You know how, you know how a snare works, right? So you put it over their little path. And when the bunny comes along, he feels the snare. You know what he does? he backs up and goes a different direction. He would be safe then, right? You know what he does? Fear grips his heart and he runs smack dab into the danger and it cost him his life. And what that proverb says is the fear of man brings a snare. That when we fear, it's like a snare, it takes our life. When fear overwhelms us, when fear grabs us, it causes us not to trust in God. And but what is, the song, what is that Proverbs 29? Verse 25 says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Who are you trusting? Where's your faith? Are you trusting in those things that you've accumulated? Are you trusting in the positions that you have now in your job? Are you trusting in your network? What, who are you trusting? It's when we trust in the Lord that we are safe. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your faith and trust in God will keep your heart firm and safe? Dear people of God, I think so many times we lose sight of him. I find it amazing. King Hezekiah, he had his downfalls, but one of the things he did that really impacted me in my prayer life was in Hezekiah. You can read it again, Isaiah 36 and 37. 
the king of Syria wrote a letter to the king Hezekiah. And he writes this letter and he's again reiterating, do not trust in your God. None of these other gods, and he names them, these other gods, they did not protect their people. They were silent. And your God is gonna be silent too. And he writes all this out and Hezekiah gets this letter. And does fear grip his heart? And does he go a different direction? You know what he does with that letter? He goes into the house of the Lord and he takes that letter and he just pushes it out in front of God. And he leaves it there. And God did deliver in a mighty way. Go read it in Isaiah 36 and 37 and following. You see, when we trust God, we take those things and we lay them out there. It didn't mean that the army immediately left. It didn't mean that everything was okay. But it meant that they put their faith and their trust in God. You see, I always say the great miracles of faith, we always think is like when the sea parted, right? Or when, when the walls came down. When, when we see these great things, we always think that was the great moment of faith. No, the great moment of faith is when they believed that God would do those things. And the great moment of faith in your life is when you believe that God is able to keep you, that God is your refuge and strength and a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, you seek him and you quit trying to fill your life with things that will never satisfy and things that will never deal with those, those fears and those hurts. You seek him. And I know when I read this, I, I'm just amazed. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God just kind of utters his voice and you know what? The earth melts. It didn't say people, it just said earth the power of his might. Verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The, the word there, fortress, some of your translations might say refuge. But fortress is really the idea. It's, it's a picture where they would build the city on, on the cliff with one way coming in. and At night, they would shut the gate so none of the wild animals could get in or their enemies. And it's this picture of a, of a fortress on the side of a cliff protected from its enemies. And the picture of the psalmist is God is our fortress. That's why he says in the first part of verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress and God is your fortress. He keeps you. He will see you through. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you're like, you know, Greg, I understand everything you're saying. And I know regardless of what happens, God is able I know that God is powerful. I know he can handle my difficulties. I know that I've received Christ in my life and I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And I know that God is able, but man, I'm still giving in to fear. It's still hurting my faith. It's still overwhelming me. And I believe the psalmist addresses that in verses eight through 11, when we see the secret of fearless faith. And I use that word secret kind of Loosely, I was talking to Paul this morning and he was sharing a story where he was at Home Depot, grabbed a, a pole, like for a fence post, and he cut his thumb and he said, you know, I just, I knew I should have had gloves, but I didn't put them on. Well, there's things in our walks we know, right? We know God is all powerful. We know that God is from everlasting to everlasting. There's things that we know, but we forget to put them on. We forget, to, we forget about those things. And so when fear grips us and when, when we're overwhelmed by the chaotic life that we're in, 
We forget who God is. And so we need to understand that. In verse eight, the psalmist says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has bought, brought desolations on the earth and he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I like that first phrase in verse eight, come and behold. You know what it literally means? To contemplate. It means to study. And in the context here, it's talking about the works of God. That's why he, he describes these things of him bringing desolation and ceasing war and breaking spears and burning up chariots. Do you not know the works of your God? And the psalmist is saying, contemplate, study, think on these things, come and behold them that you may know your God. I think today, sometimes we forget who our God is. And we walk, we walk more as defeated than we walk as victorious. We walk more in our shame than we walk in the victory of that Christ has given us through the grace of our God. God is able. He is able. Verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. In other words, that idea there literally means to cease striving. Cease striving. Stop striving and trying to fill your life with so many things that can never satisfy and never address the issues in our lives. God is our source. Be still and know that I am God. He says in verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you know who your God is? Do you understand or have you forgotten in the, in the busyness of your life, have you begun to forget and you've allowed the, the, the cares of this, <coughs> excuse me, the cares of this world to overwhelm you to a place that you've lost sight of God and your faith in him. Take your Bibles, go out in a quiet place, read of chapters one through 15 of Exodus, how God took his people out of bondage and how he delivered them and how he demonstrated to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to Israel and to the whole world that he and he alone is God. Go read about how Jesus walked on the water. Read about how he took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000. Read about how he looked into a tomb and he called out a dead man. Do you understand the works of your God? Do you know your God? Do you remember Elijah? You know, when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm praying that God has one of those audio visual, visual rooms, you know, kind of thing. You know, you can go in there and you push a button, you get to see this time in history. One of them is Elijah. I mean, I think that'd be so cool. You know, they keep pouring water on your altar and they're over there cutting themselves and he's like, hey, your God's asleep, you know. Why don't you maybe need to yell louder? And he's just mocking them. That gets it, I, I can get into that, you know. <laughs> and he's just calling them out. He's over there and he just prays one time. Just a simple prayer. God sends down fire from heaven, laps it all up. Israel falls on the prophets of Baal, wipes them out. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 19, you read about this wicked queen. You know, the one you never name your girls after? <laughs> Jezebel. And she says to Elijah, let it be to, like to me, if you, like to one of the prophets of Baal, if you are not like them by night. You know what it says in verse three of chapter 19 of 1 Kings? It says he became afraid and he ran for his life. You just saw fire coming down from heaven. A lot of times, dear people of God, it's after the great victories that we find ourselves the most weak. It's after the great victories that we find ourselves gripped by, the, by fear and, and worry. And he begins to run. And he runs and he runs and he runs. He drops off his servant. He runs some more. He runs. Find him out there in the wilderness. God sends an angel. Feeds him. Sleeps more. Feeds him. God comes to him. You know what God says to him? It always blows, blew me away to this day every time I read it. You know what God says to him? Elijah, what are you doing here? Because fear will cause you to go one way when God wants you to go another. Fear will cause you to stay in one spot when God wants to move you. We have a message, it blows me away. We have a message that can take people from life to death that can literally change them for all of eternity. There is nothing else in this world that will do what that message does, the gospel. And how often do we allow fear to keep us from walking across the, to our neighbor or to that person we work with? How often do we allow fear to keep us from stepping out in faith? You see, Elijah was there. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, you know, they killed all your prophets and I'm the only one. And God comes along and there's this tremendous wind. The rocks are cracking and there's this earthquake. This fire. God wasn't there. In fact, in some translations, it says a low whisper, talking about that gentle wind. And God says to Elijah, you know what he says? Elijah. What are you doing here? And he repeats what he just said. Oh, they killed your prophets and, da, 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 and I'm the only one. And his ministry was never the same. He was not in ministry after that. You see, fear can grip our hearts and cause us to go one way. God called up Elisha. Elisha, I love Elisha. I love reading about him. He was, he was pretty amazing. Elisha <clears throat> tells us in 2 Kings chapter five and six, but talks about the king of Syria where he's upset because he thinks he has a mold in his cabinet because every time he makes a move, his, his enemy knows about it. And they're like, okay, who's the mold? And they're like, no, no, it's not us. It's this prophet, Elisha over here. So you know what he does? He gets his whole army, goes and surrounds Elisha. In chapter six of second Kings, you can read it. The army's there and his servant he walks out that morning, he looks out, you know, you're kind of, I don't wake up easy. You know, I can't imagine anything waking me up quicker than looking out and here's this whole army of Syria. And you know what? They're here for you. And I can see him turning and running right back in to Elisha, 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 Elisha. There Syrian armies out there. You know, I kind of look at Elisha, you know, he's kind of standing there with a cup of coffee in his hand, <laughs> not getting too 
anxious, just standing there. You know what he says to his servant? There's more for us than for them. And then he prays a prayer. He says, God, open his eyes. And the Bible tells us that God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant and out over the armies of Syria, you know what there was? The armies of God. There was more for them than there was for them. There was more for Elisha than them. You see, when we lose sight of who God is, our faith wanes. It weakens. Our vision goes dark. We can't see what God could do. We can only see the weaknesses around us. It's fearless faith. It's standing in him. It is, it is the confidence that Elisha had standing there when his servant ran in. He was not nervous because he knew his God and he knew the works of his God. In the very last verse, verse 11, the God of Jacob is with us, right? The God of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a high place, a fortress, and he keeps us. You see, in the midst of a chaotic world, we stand in confidence because of the faith that we have in him. Let me ask you again, who are you trusting this morning? Who are you trusting? Is your faith in him? Is your faith in your knowledge? Is your faith in your abilities? Is your faith in your, in your resources? They will fail you. The source of fearless faith is God himself. You see, regardless of what happens, God is our refuge and strength and our source is God is with us. And the secret to our fearless faith is the ability to stop striving and filling our lives with things that will never satisfy and never accomplish what we want them to but rather to spend time and to learn about our God and to see his mighty works and to see what he's able to do and to trust in him, amen? amen. Dear people of God, to really know him, to understand him, to trust him, there is the, there is the rest and the peace and the joy that we so much desire. Let us pray. Father God, just speak to us this morning. There are so many folks here this morning, Father, with so many different circumstances in their lives. Father, I just pray you would speak to them through your spirit. Encourage those that need to be encouraged and strengthen those that need to be strengthened. Father, that they might walk after you. May we walk out of here today, Father, more confident in you, not, not in ourselves, not in what we heard or anything, but confident in the person of our God. That, Father, you from everlasting to everlasting are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there is none like you. It's in you who we have faith in. It's in you that we trust. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.